Hi there, this is Christine. Rest assured you are listening to Tales from the Hydean Way and not Heroes. Ben had some computer issues this week, so I stepped in to do the editing. Speaking of heroes, if you'd like to send us a question for our discussion episode, you have about 24 hours to send it to heroes at com as we are recording it on June 12th. We have something special for you this episode, as Ben assembled the finest crew of Star Wars super nerds, myself, David, Risa, along with Heroes cast member and Sil Zero showrunner Chris Ng, and Ross Rockefeller from the Dice for Brains and Not Another Tavern podcast to discuss Solo, a Star Wars story. Fair warning, in the hour to follow, we spoil the cark out of the movie. So, if you'd prefer to preserve the mystery, this is the place to stop. If the rest of you are ready, let's begin. This week, we are having a special, I guess you'd call it a panel episode, talking about Solo, a Star Wars story. First off, let's introduce everyone who's here. Okay, so we've got hosts for the show, David. Hello. Uh, Risa. Hello. Editor and talent on Heroes of the Hydean Way, Christine. Hello. We have the mind behind Silhouette Zero and also Matu from Heroes, Chris. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. And then the amazing Ross, who's coming to us from Dice for Brains and not another tavern. Yes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. This movie was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So what did people think? Like just a general thing. So I'll start because that's what I do. Um, I came into this movie with zero expectations, which is usually a good strategy. Uh, Generally, yeah. I think I've mentioned this. I don't think I would have seen it as early as I did had I not agreed to do this exact episode right here. Yep. Uh, But I, um, positives, thought it was a lot more fun than it was going to be. It moved quickly. Uh, I actually enjoyed what's-his-faces, I can't remember his name, uh, portrayal of Han. Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian is a gem. Yep. No disagreement there. <laughs> For me, negatives, uh, it falls into the prequel trap of over-explaining stuff that didn't need to be explained. It actually, I think, fails the Bechdel test or the Bechdel test or, or whatever. It does. <laughs> that's, that's my major complaint is the handling of the female characters. And um, yeah. I think there's some negative impacts on the Star Wars universe and the strategy as a whole. But as a movie, I really liked it. I think I actually might see it again. Generally, I liked it. Like I, it's Star Wars. I, I even like Caravan of Courage. I do have my one little. I really want a Star Wars movie without a lightsaber bit. But otherwise, we were so close. We that, were. <laughs> that was so bad. That was so bad. Can I be honest? That was bad. Uh, that annoyed me. That seriously annoyed me. Did anybody else have like the kind of two trains of thought when Maul appeared on screen? 
Because like like for me, I was originally like initially excited. Like I heard Whitware's voice. I saw him like, oh, that's awesome. And then immediately after, my brain went, oh, oh, why is he here? Oh. <laughs> I kind of thought it was cool. I didn't really have the so much why is he here as because uh, again, I haven't seen enough of Rebels to know all that what he's done in Rebels, but mm-hmm. I like bringing him back in just because I thought from the beginning that he was underused. In the Phantom Menace, and so seeing him come oh, yeah. back in Clone Wars was nice. And I recognize that now people are like, "Okay, we're done with Maul because he's been in everything." But since I haven't seen Rebels, I'm not I'm not done with Maul yet. Or I'm I just seen thought one. for a second that I was being like racist, like species <laughs> racist, because I was like, I was like, "That's Maul," and then I was like, "Wait, no, it can't be right." And then it was, and I was like, Ugh. I, I was like, that. it's not, not all Zabrak are the same person. And then it was like, yeah, no, it is him. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get what he was threatening with the lightsaber. I don't understand. Because yeah. he's in a, like, <laughs> holograms don't the work that way. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> it was just, just to, have to have show us there. that he has a cool lightsaber. I know, but we all, but nah, I don't know. I really think that was just for people who would see him and go, who is this guy? And then they're like, oh, it's supposed to be the same guy that Obi-Wan cut in half. Because I haven't watched TV shows. Yeah, mm-hmm. Star Wars. So I yeah. don't know if he's still alive. Imagine not seeing any of the Clone Wars TV show. Wouldn't you be really confused? I imagine for the people who don't even know that the Clone Wars or Rebels are a thing, <laughs> they just wrote them so off as true. children's shows, and they're like, "Well, that was weird." Yeah, but I f- I think this is not. I mean, the Clone Wars was not the first piece of Star Wars media to to bring him back. In fact, the whole confrontation of Rebels with Obi Wan and and Maul having it out. There's actually a comic book that was published like after episode three, but before the Clone Wars that played around with that same concept. Uh, so, you know, everyone's had the idea like, well, you know, we got mechanical legs, so we could just stick those on there and just call it a day. You know, I think it's unnecessary. I, I was majorly disappointed when, I mean, I was like really on board with this movie until it happened. I was even okay with the giant space monster, I was like, ah, it's over the top, but you know what? I also didn't like the uh, the Wrath Tars, so you know, <laughs> I was like, all right, you know what? I'll I'll ignore the space monster. We're almost at the end of the movie. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, my prediction was actually that the person pulling um, Voss's strings was Vader. Oh, that would be so cool too. I was almost certain they were going to throw Vader in there. <laughs> I think that might have Especially been a after... bit, like, Star Wars cliche, at least to me. I would have been like, oh, right, Vader's behind everything, isn't he? Hmm. Well, because after they said, oh, you know, when that, that rebel girl said, oh, you know, the Empire is using these criminal organizations as another arm. I was like, oh, OK, well, then now it's definitely going to be Vader. <laughs> but I, that's one of the things that I liked about this movie is the fact that the Empire, while they're there, there's still this force in the galaxy. They're kind of bit players in this story. They're actually, in a lot of respects, more they function in comedy relief or as just, well, they're just the guys in charge. No big deal. Yes. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. And that was actually my favorite moment of new canon. Um, I don't know, in the, in the first act when they're in, I think it's at the border crossing, when mm-hmm. they're showing the Imperial propaganda the imperial march is clearly part yep. of the audio yeah. coming out of that yes yep yep that is so amazing that that is great i love the little changes to it because where it's a little bit more upbeat and energetic like yeah you know come on come join the empire well We're it's almost evil. empire day to go back to rebels yes yeah yeah 
which means that you know john williams is an imperial propagandist which is just so much fun and going in a game immediately i'll say overall my reaction to this movie was was pretty highly positive but i have the same problems with it that i tend to have with all of the new star wars movies although i like all of the new star wars movies i come out of them going you guys are planting a lot of seeds for problems with like inconsistency and and confusion later on because you're so obsessed with like doing all those throwback jokes and those uh like wait like you were saying that the prequel problem over explaining everything except now they're gonna yeah. tie all of their properties together to the point that you just trip over it like an AT-AT. there's becoming a little too much overlap at this point yeah and i think that's uh, their their media strategy in general that's why there are so many books and comic books that tend to delve into all these backstories you know in a lot of ways i feel like phasma was created intentionally just to sell secondary <laughs> you know stories because there's like several books about her and a lot of comic books about her and it's like oh she was cool on screen i wish i knew more and then you know they're trying to entice well we got more over here if you want to spend a little more money well one could say the same sort of thing of either wedge or fat Watching Solo was the first time that I experienced what I must imagine everyone around me experienced for most of my life, where you watch Star Wars and you have no idea who all these people are and you're not, you've not been huge invested into like every book that's come out. And then there's, you know, somebody around you who's like, oh, they were in this comic book, they're in this book, and this guy was in a TV show. And you realize (laughs) that there's like 90% of the plot that you're missing out on because you're just watching the movies. But they also, um, for like old legends fans, they added in a lot of things that yeah, had they been... really did. They did like the Lando's little mind harp of Sharu uh, reference there. Yeah. Yes, well, yeah. he, he referenced all three um, titles from yep. the book yeah, series. Yeah, depending on when awesome. you were looking at it, and he even referenced the complete one. Yeah, even though they don't hold the trademark on it. Sabak is canon again now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, I know there was a whole bunch as we were going through. We got to see Corellia. Yeah, yes. and the fact that they reestablished that uh, Karna is the capital of Corellia, that's all stuff that they're yeah. just re-canonizing, basically. All the stuff that we lost in Legends, <laughs> they're like, well, we're not going to make new stuff up. We're just going to take that and just redo the, it. They're, they are taking, though, I think, some of the better parts, or they're they're putting, putting their own spin on it. Like, yeah. with Han's backstory, they still pulled the part about him joining the Empire and getting kicked out. Yeah. Um, in a sense, but they they took out a lot of the weirdness that yeah. popped up in the books, streamlined it, and even had the addition of him getting kicked out of the flight academy, which is perfect <laughs> Han Solo. Oh yeah. yeah, I actually was amazed at how many of the story beats that they kept from his original backstory. You know, enslaved as a child, even though he wasn't a child, they sort of condensed it because they have one movie instead of three books. But you know, they they pretty much hit all of the high points except for the hut cult and the rebel connection, except for the Enfys Nest thing. But like, they they even kept the like completely unnecessary explanation of why he claims the parsec thing. Like, <laughs> yes, I walked out of the movie and I was like, can we please just go back to the original? Like, he doesn't know what that word means at this point, because we're going way out of our way to explain. A yeah, but line. then they've also got the joke at the very end of, well, yeah, if you round down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good addition. I also love it because they did kind of reinforce why nobody seems very impressed in a new hope about it, because it's it's not that the ship's fast. It's that he did something really, really stupid and happened not to die. 
in the yeah. process. And so it's like, okay, that's great, buddy. Good on you. That was actually one of my favorite approaches to the character. When I was coming into this, I expected that they were going to show Han being charming and just not as lucky yet. But mm. he is every bit as lucky as he always is. He's just way stupider. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's, like, it's he's just dumb throughout this entire movie, and it's fantastic. It's like you're getting to see all of the licks all that he takes in like one two hour block. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, generally enjoyed the movie. Honestly, most of my issues with the movie were not story driven. I just had a lot of issues with the directing. Um, to be honest, uh, especially. The directing, where you could see where things were reshoots and stuff. Oh, yeah. That was that was honestly my main issue because I didn't know a bunch of the Legends stuff. So as far as I was concerned, I was like, yeah, whatever. This is just how it happens. Um, so I didn't have any of that going in for the most part, especially since I try not to read anything about it before going in because I didn't want to be disappointed. Gee, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. I try. I try to not go in knowing something really well because I did that with a lot of things, a lot of movies, and they were not good then. Yeah, but um, I I actually was not a huge fan in how they portrayed Han. I feel that that, but that was just mostly I feel directing issues because he was a different character from scene to scene sometimes, mm-hmm. and that is all about the reshoots. Like I can tell, but. Other than that, I thought it was a good movie. It was fun, at least. <laughs> Seeing it with my wife gave me some interesting perspectives, because she would see stuff that I didn't notice, because uh, she's not a Star Wars fan, and she'd be like, you know, is this... I guess she she was complaining that Han, as you see him in this movie, has way too much of a heart of gold to that quickly afterwards be the person that he is in A New Hope. Like, he doesn't get... He doesn't quite get as jaded as he needs to be to her. Mm. Well, there's ten years. Yeah. Oh, really? There's supposed to be 10 years? Yeah. Yeah, this is 10 okay. BBY. <laughs> because the way that they were uh, talking in the end of the movie, I assumed they were going to go to Tatooine, get the job for Jabba, and then we'd be right where we were supposed to be. Well, he racks up a lot of debt to, to Jabba. Yeah. So I feel like 10 years is enough to rack up that kind no, of and debt. And you know, but I, I think I agree with, with David here in terms of pacing, because I almost think that you had two movies worth of plot here. Yes. Yes. I think you did. if you, yeah. you could have extracted some of like, you know, you could have done Kessel run as like a second movie almost. And then, you know, paced it out differently. It, overall, actually one of the things I felt was that it was a tight two hours. I think I would have liked two hours, 10 minutes, you know, something <laughs> like that. A, just a little bit more breathing room on some of it. Yeah. But I also understand that from their perspective, it was a, a monetary risk that, well, we have this guy contracted for three movies, but we don't know if we're going to get three movies. So let's shove it all in while we can. Um, and it's, it's looking like it's not going, <laughs> it's not going to be a good monetary return for them. So it does feel like it's like the first movie and the second movie. And then they took the best parts out of both of those. Yeah. Right. It yeah. really does. Like the entire train job there could have been its own climax to the entire thing. I think it had to have been, especially with the um, the the self sacrifice there, because like, yeah. that just there 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 yeah. was no way you had enough room to care. Really. I didn't exactly. care enough about the characters for it to matter to me. We knew them for like ten minutes. Yeah, there's so no it way. wasn't. I wasn't in any way affected by their 
by their deaths. So it just felt really empty. And especially since it's like they introduce uh, they introduce Val and it's like, <laughs> oh my goodness, she's like one of two black women in the entire galaxy. And then we kill her and immediately. And it was like, yep, knew that was going to happen. That was like my biggest frustration, though, with the the loss of especially Rio and Val early on. And the, that 10 minutes, I at least latched on to like, oh, these are cool characters. I would like to learn a little bit more about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their their deaths just felt like, okay, well, this is just our motivation to go go get Lando and we're going to build a new crew for the next thing. But yeah. they didn't have to kill them. They could they have- fridged. Yes, they were. And fridged for a secondary character. They, they weren't fridged yeah. for Han's benefit. They're fridged for Beckett's. But but not even it barely affected him is what really frustrated me. After but that. I think yeah. that was what was we were supposed to take out of it is that he really doesn't care about anybody but himself. I mean, like you know, it was supposed to be a big surprise that he betrayed everybody, but it wasn't because we had seen that he had like zero attachment to anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like you know his wife died, and then like ten minutes later he's like joking around with Han about the Valacourt again, and that was like their private joke. I was really confused by all of that. Which that joke came from her though, because Val is um like it it comes from her name. Oh, really? Is the idea behind it? So it was weird that that joke continued, and yet he didn't yeah. seem, you know, bothered by her death. Yeah, like Han was more affected by Rio's death than Beckett was by Val's death. Yeah, <laughs> and that felt really weird. It did. It was unsettling, and. Uh, as one of those, like, is he really this dumb to, like, not notice that this person, there's no way you just met this guy, like, three days ago. He's ever going to, ca- like, how do, can you expect this person to care about your safety right now? I, I don't know. But that's, yeah. It was different. I went into it, um, the film approaching it from, you know, because we were going to be recording this with the idea of, like, <laughs> how this plays out on a game table rather yeah. than a movie. So I think I had more fun with parts of it than I yes. had a right to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this was still one of those things that it's just, like, I'd be mad at a GM that, like, introduced an NPC and then did this. You know, like, that just seems like you didn't have another way out, you know? Well. So, I don't know. When you put it that way, I'm almost looking at the train job as a failed TPK. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, it just... mm, That we need to bring up two new characters so we get Kira and Lando. And we get the droid comedy from L3. Yeah. It feels like those are the two players that just got jobs out of town. And this is like their last (laughs) night. So we're going to do one more. We're going to go out big. And then a couple other folk will jump in. (laughs) Yeah. that, That really does sort of sum it up. A lot of the parts of the movie stood out to me as this is totally a check. Um, And the first one being in the very beginning with the rock pretending it was the thermal detonator. (laughs) I was like, I was like, first of all, I've done that in a game. We have literally done that. Uh, But my deception check was much better. But that was totally Han failing with a triumph Mm -hmm. because definitely failed. It was like, no, 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 that's that's not. You made the clicking noise with your mouth. You were able to then take another another action and throw it. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely a fail with the triumph. Yeah, uh, we had a a failure or possibly a success with the despair or something with the speeder getting caught in the alley. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. The the destiny point economy in this movie was yes. crazy good. Oh, yeah. Like that really. 
help the weird pacing. Just, uh, you know what? I'm just going to spend a dark side point. She shows up or what? You know, it just it felt like that was constantly going back and forth to avoid as many roles as possible. <laughs> the one that I'm just continuously coming back to with the check is the successful, like almost a nothing mechanics check that L3 does to remove the restraining bolt that then has like three <laughs> triumphs on it. Right. Like, honestly, I go with that's the best part of the movie for me is, okay, get out of my way, scoot. Oh, restraining bolt. Yeah, okay, get out of here. Well, what do you do? Just, eh, go free your brothers. <laughs> and then the droid rebellion that I want to happen shows up on screen. Yes. <laughs> that to me I was both amazing and led to one of the more frustrating parts of the movie for me because I loved the droid rebellion. I thought L3 was hilarious yeah. uh, and that she was a really cool character. I liked her a lot, but she did die very quickly after she was introduced. And I felt like the whole plug L3's brain into the Falcon was really kind of pointless because it didn't add anything. None of L3's personality is ever it was shown. We it, it was, was just weird. weird setup for like a throwaway line from 3PO in Empire. Where he's like, where did your ship learn to communicate? It was weird, but I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, haha, and this is why the nav cop is so weird in the Falcon, is kind of how it felt. <laughs> it, it wasn't necessary, though. Like, like It we, wasn't. Especially mm -hmm. with, you know, like L3's comment about having found her purpose in life. Mm -hmm. It would have been so easy to have her get back aboard the ship and like bid farewell to Lando later on because she's going to go free more droids. Yeah, like, have exactly. that sort of become the And it's like, Lando. with how much Lando cared, he never thought to download her back out of the ship afterwards. Yeah. She's, like, irrevocably bonded to your spaceship and... And then he, he still gambles with it later. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make sense. It's very like, yes. frustrating for Lando's character. Yeah, it's there. almost like he doesn't... The switch, as soon as the... Uh, memory core goes into the Falcon. There's a switch. Okay, yeah, they have to do the Kessel her, run. Her name's never mentioned yeah, again. It's never her name's never mentioned again. It's just she's gone, and there's no weight to it. Like there's more. In some ways, there's more weight to Val dying than there is to L three. I mean, you're you guys are not wrong, but I will play devil's advocate here and state these are scoundrel scumbags. We are we are demanding a lot of empathy out of scoundrel scumbags. I will say that's fair, but I will also say that they spend the entire movie establishing that Han is not actually as scoundrel scumbaggy as he is pretending to be, and he doesn't even really care. He didn't even yeah. throw in a, like, hear me, baby, hold together kind of thing. I don't know if he would... It would make sense for him to care about L3, though. Yeah, he, he just met her. That, that doesn't bother me as much. Yeah, it's the Lando part that matters to me, or that sort of is a sand... That annoys me. Like it's you get to the beginning. That I mean, isn't kinda... the point of Lando's arc between Empire and Return of the Jedi is that he does change? So I mean, at some at, at some level, we have to. I mean, and this is the problem with prequels is they can't change as much as you would want them to because they have to be at some static point when we see them later on in mm -hmm. the timeline. So, I mean, Lando's kind of scummy, but he has to be because otherwise his change later isn't as meaningful. Except that his entire, like, the entire reason why Lando's scummy in Empire Strikes Back is because he's doing the amazingly hard math of the need of the one versus the need of the many. He's trying to protect all of his people. That, like, he's the Baron Administrator of Cloud City at that point. 
He's trying to protect Cloud City. So, yeah, you... That's that's a pretty... I mean, yeah, but also you could reinterpret that as I, it's my city. Not I care about the people, but this is my thing. Like, don't take my thing. That's fair, but he does tell them to evacuate the city when he gets a chance to. Right? He does that in Empire. He, he gets on the comms in Empire, and he tells everybody to evacuate, and everyone's stealing those, like... Or not stealing, but running away with those weird cylinders that kind of look like ice cream makers. Oh, right. <laughs> no, no, that is an ice cream maker. Probably were. It's it like, is. quick, we're being evacuated. Make sure we have ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring clothes. Those aren't necessary. Just make sure you bring the vanilla extract. <laughs> now when we get to Jewel of the Avon for Heroes, I really want there just to be like a booming ice cream industry on Cloud City. <laughs> I'll make notes. Yeah, I think, again, the only logical explanation for the way that L3 went out is, again, this was a player that had to leave town and could no <laughs> longer stay at the table. I think that was every character death for me was, okay, This they just had to skip out of town. They couldn't be here for the next six weeks. What are we going to do? High turnover in that group. And then there's the big, like, melodramatic moment, and then by next week, everyone's forgotten about it, because the player is actually doing great with their new job or <laughs> yeah, marriage or whatever. I'd almost say the Heroes handles it a bit better as listeners will have heard last week <laughs> yeah it's tricky um i think when, when we're looking at both because i've been thinking about rogue one a lot lately too in comparison to this you know rogue one and solo very different movies with different tones but they both share the similarity well a couple of similarities one they are prequel stories nobody asked for two they both had directors that had different visions for the movie, and then Disney went in and muddled around with it. Um, and I, f I wonder, you know, some of the, the complaints that we have about characters being treated poorly, if that's not a, re a f like a, I would a result. Say 100 percent, it is. It's like, well, we uh, we were going to do something meaningful with these characters, but Disney's coming and going. No, you need to do a basic pulp action storyline, and you know. People are going to die, so make sure they die, uh, you know, and follow all of these story beats. And you had these really well-designed characters that were designed for a separate purpose. And then, um, you know, they just reused them because they had already recorded the lines and made the casting and, and did all that stuff and just shrugged and went, all right, well, who cares how this plays out? We need to follow the outline that Disney gave us. What's sad is that we, I feel like we're being really negative on the movie, but overall, I, I feel like most of us said we liked it. <laughs> I, I thought it was fun, but the more I think about it, it's like, it's really nice if you don't look <laughs> too hard at the details of the story structure, but I felt like a lot of the, like, component parts were good. There's just cracks in it when you put it all together. Well, and I think, I know, I think I'm coming across as, like, the apologist for the movie. Like, well, you know, <laughs> you guys are thinking too hard about it. But I guess my my perception of it is that it's it's kind of pulpy. And the problem is when you, you do something kind of pulpy, a lot of the, the problems of, you know, minority and female portrayal of that pulp genre show mm, up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's true. Um, and I think, I think that's an issue from... The Disney side saying be more pulpy rather than maybe the original director's vision know. for what this I've, was supposed to be. When you take a look at like 21 Jump Street or any of their other stuff, they're not that good at any sort of representation. Well, I don't know. I don't know anything about these other directors, so I don't know. I, I don't think that the like the pulp tone and the like the lack of diversity or how, say, women are handled as characters, I don't think those two have to go hand in hand. 
to me, I like some of the things I liked the best about this movie were the the pulpy dynamics. I liked that it was a fun movie. I liked that you don't have to think too hard about, for example, how the Maw and uh, what do they call it? The Maelstrom around Kessel works. It's just a fun ride trying to get the Falcon out of there that just keeps escalating, getting crazier and crazier. I like those moments. I don't need to, to know the exact science. And I and I do like the characters in the movie. I actually like the cast in this movie um, and the characters a lot better than I liked the Rogue One crew. I felt like I got to know all of them mm-hmm. better. I just wish there wasn't as much death among them as there was i don't feel like it was necessary in the same way there's they at least could have had a couple of characters bow out for reasons and i just again wish that they had taken the the larger presence of women in this movie as opposed to say just Jin and rogue one and done something a little bit more with them and not had all three of them as vehicles to tell a man's story yeah i was surprised and in fact confused and so was my wife with the enfys nest reveal because we thought when they took the mask off that they were trying to imply that it was Beckett's daughter. Because That's in Star what Wars, I yeah. we've seen all of two black women, and one of them was in this movie, and they were doing this big yeah. like reveal of like, oh, it's a biracial woman. She must be Beckett's daughter because there's only two other options or like, one other option. <laughs> but then I'm thinking, and no, the real reveal was, oh, it's a girl. And I was like, oh, was that the surprise that we're supposed to have here? Right. Yeah, I, right. I thought it was pretty much implied in the other bits of the movie. It was like one of those things. I had the same moment of, oh man, is it their daughter? And then they just kept going. And I was like, oh, I guess not. Because it was yeah, just like, was like weird Oh, I got thing. this mask from my mom. And I was like, wait, your mom was Enfys Nest before you blew her up? Oh, wait a minute. And I'll, I'll be honest. I had to go to the restroom very briefly. And when I came back and that moment happened, I was so sure I missed something. <laughs> like the way everyone was looking. So like I thought I had to have missed something like very important about who this person was. It could not simply be that it was a young female, that it was so shocking. And then immediately after that, she's yeah. kind of just in the background again. And we forget about her. I mean, go on to the confrontation. Like I, I even just forgot about her when I was rallying, uh, like rattling off the um, the women in this movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, that's funny. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I. I. I don't even know. Maybe that was supposed to be the reveal, and they changed their mind about it because it, it's. It's like there's a big music swell. Yeah, and then they show like this. This shot of like we we look at her, and then we look at like the other people, and we have like this meaningful shot of, right. of Beckett <laughs> for a second, and I'm like, wow, does he know her? Is this something? Well, oh my goodness. And then he doesn't. No, it's just that it's this, the, the, this like 12 year old. I'm sorry. She looks 12. The, the game, I know the the game master was trying to do this big reveal and the player just went, nah, that's stupid. I don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They like zoom in on the eye. They do every textbook cinematographer so like trick of these characters know each other. And yeah, it was very bizarre. I'm wondering if that was one of the things got changed or something. Because I know that a lot of that stuff got reshot because everything that has Dryden in it had to be reshot because they changed actors. They had to change actors because they didn't have, they weren't able to get the first guy back in to do any reshoots. So everything that's shot with Dryden in it is a separate director than anything, a lot of the other bits of the movie. So you can kind of tell. And I'm wondering if maybe we cut some things out to make other things make more sense. Yeah, they should have cut that part out with the dramatic reveal. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute, we should have repaced this moment. 
I felt like the big like the big moment at the end when Han shoots first, haha, that was the whole reason that was there. But uh, that was a little bit yeah. robbed of its importance to me because they didn't have Han have any problem shooting people throughout the whole movie. Like Han is a kid who's been enslaved and he's never used a gun and then all of a sudden well, we don't know he's never used a gun, but like I find it highly unlikely he's used a gun. And then he's in the infantry for three years. He's clearly not done anything important by that point. And all of a sudden they're on the train job and Han's just blasting stormtroopers and then, you know, crack shot shooting people on Kessel. And it's like, oh, well, you have no problems killing these people? Like, you're stealing stuff and you have no problems killing the people that are rectfully trying to stop you. But you have a problem shooting Beckett a second before he shoots you after he's betrayed you. Yeah. Right. Which was it a betray? Like, I almost feel like he was like trying to prove his point. Like the ego was so great. Like, well, I have to do this to prove to this kid that you can't ever try. Like, maybe he was just done, you know, and he couldn't think of a better way out. Actually, that sounds like a better idea to me. I just almost felt like it was dumb on Han's part. Everything he did was dumb. Like, like, he didn't do a single smart like, thing in this movie. There's no way Beckett has any way to leave. Like, it was really obvious Beckett was going to betray him. Well, and I mean, he, that's the whole point of that whole thing. It's like, haha, we knew that Beckett was going to just betray us, so we double crossed the double cross, haha. Which just wasn't, I don't know. There is something just really weird about that pacing of it's, to me. Well, and it's, it's almost like, you know, Beckett's supposed to be this controversial father figure to Han, but then Han talks very meaningfully about his father. You know, like he had a close relationship with him. Uh, so it's kind of like, well, all right, then why are you so attached to this guy? Because you had a father and you clearly loved him and like his presence in your life mattered. So I don't know what's going on. That's true. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, it, that that conversation was really weird to me, pacing wise. I, I, I'm going to say that a lot. But that conversation was just <sighs> super weird. About his father or? Yeah, about the father and then. Yeah, I think they were just trying to explain why Han knew how to operate the Falcon. Yeah. Which is, again, It was like of all the things needless. we didn't need explained that you explained, right. <laughs> why not take some of that time and explain something? I thought they were actually trying to establish the connection for him. Yeah, like why he was caring about this ship. I didn't see a reason why we needed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that there's a reason. It's like. Especially since in the like original trilogy, we see how he interacts with the ship. It's not like that he has some huge special importance with the ship. It's just that this is my ship, and even though it's kind of a piece of sh- a piece of junk, <laughs> it's my piece of uh, junk. Especially after right. he's been uh, dealing with it. Yeah, w- which is actually something I I kind of liked. I actually liked how they established the the gags there and stuff of like. That was a tough thing he did. He wrecked the the very shiny Millennium Folk and all the jokes before about how did Han and Chewie mess up that ship so quickly? Well, we saw. It didn't take long at yeah. all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree a lot about that. I didn't think he needed that connection because I remember um, even in like his original like the book series uh, from Legends, it's literally just he sees the ship and he's like, oh, I like that ship. And then he sees, you know, he he's around it for a long time before he actually owns it. But there isn't some, like, you know, heartfelt connection to the ship beyond I like this thing. And then by the time the movies roll around, it's just sort of like, this is the Falcon. Like, I've had this for years. I have this connection. I know it. And it wasn't, I don't know. I just felt, I felt like a lot of times in the movie, like his name, why in the world with all of the that weird last like. names we have in Star Wars, why couldn't that you have one? A last I name really like. Me, 
I, I agree with Ben. I, I like that a lot, too, because it... It is campy. It's entirely... Like, it's one of those times where you can definitely see the original director's shooting of a scene sort of play out. And that part actually did sort of speak to me. It's like, okay, I've got no people. But that's a part that then makes the part afterwards that we were just talking about, the father working on the YT line. That's a part, like, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. And as a whole, I had fun with the movie. But yeah, you've got these inconsistencies that every time you run into major director changes this is what happens oh quick question though because i didn't get this one of the like of all the things that they were explaining were they making fun of the way billy d williams pronounced han's name yep with the whole like han thing because i only remember him doing that once maybe i'm wrong but my wife and i both walked out of that no he does it a couple of times in empire okay we both walked out of the movie going like what it's something I did like. I liked how um, how Han and Lando played off of each other in this film. <laughs> I liked that That's rivalry very, very that well. got established. That was very fun to me. Yeah, I liked that. And I, I will say that I really liked um, Alden Ehrenreich, or if that's how you say his name, as Han. I, I liked the Han actor, but the Han-Lando relationship <sighs> was really good. I didn't like the Han actor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm coming from a background of being an actress, and he... Did way too much acting with a capital A um, for this movie. And I think that it's a real uh, bummer. <laughs> I'll put it like that. Honestly, because as I'm watching it, I'm watching him look at the camera in a way and be like, haha, get it. And that was just something I'm going to chalk it up to the direction and changing the direction. Well, no, they also they stated that he they had to get him like an acting coach. Yeah, I think that was probably a bad choice. Um, <laughs> honestly, the reason why um, all of the characters that Harrison Ford played in the beginning are so, um, I'm going to say heartfelt in a way. They're so more sincere, honestly, because they got someone who wasn't an actor to do the parts. So you don't have all of these things that actors have in their brains of this is what I'm supposed to do. So I feel like maybe they should have found someone that kind of had the same acting style. Obviously, I'm glad they didn't get anyone try to do a try to do a Harrison Ford impression. That would have been painful. But the fact that they didn't get someone with the same acting style was detrimental to me as just someone who's critiquing the performance because it meant that it felt like a completely separate character. He didn't have any of the same things that he does. Uh, and it was just one of those, I'm just, I just really feel like they should have gone with a different actor. <laughs> Instead of getting him an acting coach, maybe find someone who just has that kind of sincerity to them to begin with. Uh, and it would have been a more more true performance, in my opinion, as opposed to the very, very clearly, I'm watching the things go through his brain of this is what I'm supposed to do now and here, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's all, I totally get that, yeah. He's Got really it. good at, like, posing. 
Yeah. Like, so it's when he has a lot of motion, like, so when he has to hit his mark and just be in the light, like, that's all good. It's just he gets lost when anything <laughs> else is going. Well, at least I lose him when anything else is is going on. Yeah. Um, he's really good at, like, thumb acting. So for some reason, I was obsessed with, like, how he was moving his hands a lot. So he does a lot of fun Han stuff with his thumbs. So, like, I was always watching that he's, like, hooking them in his belt, like, the right way. I don't know. He felt like a Western guy walking into a bar. Like, so there were these poses that I enjoyed that felt very, like, textbook cliche underworld guy that I could appreciate. I think his body language was very good. Um, I think it was just a lot of, like, the actual saying the lines where I just started just I felt like a director like I've done this because I used to act and direct and I felt like okay but what if you said it like this instead that's what I was going through every time he said something I was like can you change the inflection on that that's (laughs) I know (laughs) so then can I can I ask a question since I am not uh I do not have formal training in these things did you like Donald Glover's portrayal and I mean, he's basically doing a Lando impression. So what do you feel is the difference? I enjoyed his performance a lot because in the beginning it felt like an impression, but it felt like as the movie went on, he was dropping it. So it's like in that very first scene where we see him, it's like he was doing his Billy Dee Williams impression, like voice and everything. As the movie went on, we started getting our own Donald Glover version of Lando. Mm -hmm. And it just started becoming his own thing that by the end, he wasn't doing the voice. Mm -hmm. What I, what I noticed the most about that is the times I felt he was doing an impersonation was when he said one line, which feels very much like somebody on the production team coming in and saying, we need him to say anytime he had two, three lines, it was the character. If that makes sense. Like, and I feel a greater attachment to the way he portrayed it than the way Mr. Billy D did in the original films. I'll, I'll say that right now. I think he went really, um, he went more in depth on the emotions than I was expecting. And I liked that. Mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. And I liked the way that it was very clear that Lando was into Han. Like, that was very clear in the first meeting. And as they start like getting to know each other, he's like, no, yep. never mind. No, no, no. Get me <laughs> yep, out of here. Very much. So like, <laughs> that's how that was going. I enjoyed watching that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was pretty clear, but still like a subtext. But um, I liked that. And I liked the depth that we got out of that. But I agree that when he was doing it, you could tell when he was doing the impersonation. And that's one of the weird, like, since you bring up the depth, so, like, we got, I feel we got more depth out of the Lando character with a much shorter timeline of exposition. So, with Han, we got, like, almost his whole life, and I don't think we got as much depth out of the performance. But that's, like, a super harsh critique. I did, you know, a little Shakespeare here and there. So, (laughs) take that with a big old grain of salt. Has anyone else uh, seen the movie Hail Caesar? Oh gosh, is that the one with George Clooney? Uh, it's got George, George Clooney is plays an absolute horrible actor. I'm actually not quite sure how he was able to do it because it's bad even for bad George Clooney. It's got Josh Brolin, but the guy who plays Solo plays an actor that does exactly what we're talking about in this. Mm. Like 
down to the dialect and all the other stuff. It almost seemed like he was doing, like, the stuff like you're talking about almost sounds exactly like what his character in Hail Caesar was. That is very interesting. <laughs> okay, here's a weird thing. Starting off, we all said that we liked it. Then we've been going on <laughs> for, like, 30, 40 minutes of, these are the things that bugged us about it. Okay, so it's amazingly, amazingly easy for you to find, like, the one thing that irks you, and then pulling at it will unravel everything. Going through everything that's been said, I can agree with absolutely everything that's been said. I still like them as hand, but I also totally get the acting issues. The thing that I'm kind of wanting to ask again, now that we're more or less at the end of the episode, beyond the whole let's do a hologram with a lightsaber bit, I like the movie. I actually like how... I even like the end part of Kira's arc, where it's Kira being in it for Kira, as opposed to being in it for Han. That the one gift that she gives Han out of all of it is not mentioning that Han was the mastermind of the betrayal, that it was Beckett. That's her only real gift to him. Everything else that she does at that point, even throughout the entire thing, is for her. Like, I almost wish that Solo had been the Kira movie that Han Solo was a part of. That would have been more entertaining, I think. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, I think it's harder to explain why I like it because it's pretty textbook, you know, criminal heist movie. It's, it's you know, somebody's origin story, plus they're an outlaw. Like, you could probably sit there, you know, with a standard plot arc graph and pin everything onto the wall exactly where it's supposed to be. You, your, your characters are typical archetypes. You got a gunslinger and a pilot and, you know, the femme fatale and... The gambler. The... Yeah, the, yeah, the gambler and then, you know, the comic relief droid. It <laughs> doesn't do anything cutting edge here. Even Kira's betrayal, and I think this was, uh, you know, the, one of the things that was common in the movie was that they just tell you what's going to happen and then you're supposed to, for some reason, not believe what they say, but then when you do... It just happens the way they said it. Like Beckett says, mm -hmm. oh, you shouldn't trust anybody. And then Beckett says, hey, Kira's just out for herself. And, you know, as Ross has pointed out multiple times, uh, Hans is really stupid. And so he, <laughs> he just keeps going like, nah. Yeah, that's it won't happen it. a third time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we but we as audience members are not really stupid. And so I, I think um, it's fun because it's predictable. And, you know, we, we feel comforted in that they did everything they were supposed to. But when you start thinking too much about it, it falls apart. But that's true of every story, you know, which is why as I get older, I try not to think too much about these things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think the reason I liked the movie has a lot more to do with the way that I view Star Wars now. Like, I am still a Star Wars fan. But like I've said before, my, my like, initial huge investment into it was into Legends as a kid. And so I feel like it's really hard to compete with that with the new stuff just because, like, I'm not a kid anymore. I don't have, you know, a decade plus of emotional investment. So to me, the movies are like great fodder for role playing games, which are something that I'm like really invested into. So to me, I loved Solo because it was a really great Edge of the Empire game that someone filmed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I think that's part of why I liked it so much is that was it was really fun for one thing. I went in just wanting a good time. 
uh, and I got one. But the other thing was I, I felt really um, into it because it felt like one of those Edge of the Empire campaigns that I have played in. So it just it felt natural in that way. Like the plot was kind of natural if you look at it like that. And so it was familiar to me in that way of, yeah, no, I totally would have done that. Um. <laughs> Even the Darth Maul reveal was the GM realizing that the Force and Destiny books were really cool. <laughs> no. And, like, oh, we yeah. add this and in. then next campaign, next yeah. campaign, we can do. Uh, we'll we'll tie that in more. And I think I think you've hit on kind of why, why I like the movie and one of the reasons I found it fun. This felt like like the Star Wars galaxy I know. And uh, I know they didn't just, you know, they had a lot of Legends references as a part of that, but it just, I thought they did a better job of kind of connecting it to some of what's gone on before, perhaps a little too much in terms of the references, but even little details they did, like the fact that part of um, part of Ness's crew is a Rodian. Things like that where, okay, I, I recognize this. I can see that the galaxy feels a little... <sighs> It feels a little more, bit more, more connected. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like the reference to Bosque. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, what was there was even some talk that uh, Warwick Davis's character is the one he played in uh, the Phantom Menace. And I and I like those little things, and I and I like especially that it was alongside things like I love. I forget what it is now, um, but I I love Rio's uh, species, and I want to see. I want to know more about them, <laughs> and I love that they added. They still added to what was there while still kind of grounding it, if that makes any sense. They kind of, they succeeded in both directions for me. I enjoyed this because, and this is really the gift that this show has has given me, being able to approach this from the game. So I just, I had more fun with this than I think than I, I would have if I didn't, if I wasn't watching it through the lens of a, of a role-playing game the entire time. <laughs> so it has this, this there's there's a very unique experience that happens on at the table where you slip from storytelling to becoming a parody slash farce of the story you're telling and then back out like almost seamlessly at the table as the natural humor happens and this kind of felt like that so i think it would have been way more jarring without that approach so i think it was fun i i had fun with it i like everything it's it's pain and homage to. So all of these, the bullet points of heist films, you know, a train job, a bank job, it, it hit all those things with a little bit of Star Wars varnish, which, you know, okay, cool. That's fun. I, I would watch this movie if it wasn't Star Wars too, if that makes sense. Yeah, I have a um, a theory. Like I would have loved the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies if they had just been named Barnaby and Clyde. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, and if this hadn't been yeah, solo, if it was just like, you know, Star Jack Williams versus the Galaxy, and you know, we had completely <laughs> different universe. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Star absolutely. Williams, yeah. The... Keep an eye out in a theater near you once I get money and like you know anything that can help me make a movie. <laughs> the thing that I'm kind of wondering is, do they have a Han Solo and the like betrayal on? whatever planet that was, or Han Solo and the Kessel Run type, going back to the old Brian Daly books. Like, do they have a title like that for it, as opposed to Solo, a Star Wars story? Yeah, well, I think I read somewhere that they were going, if they did more, they were going to be more like an Indiana Jones thing, where it would be, you know, Han Solo and the Temple of 
Mm. Glue. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> glue? And I think, uh, I think they said they intentionally mentioned Bosk in the first movie because he was going to be a, a pivotal point in the second movie if it ever got made. Sorry, Christine. I don't mean to crush your dreams. Uh, I want to see a Trindotion again. <laughs> and I would actually, I would love it if they if they were able to kind of bring that Trindotian Wookiee rivalry into canon. That would be cool. Because right now it's not. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not a thing at in At least canon. in yeah, comic book in form. The Clone Wars, but not on movie. And that might be a little too violent for the target audience. You don't need to show it. You can, you can kind of tell it through how do, say, Bosk and Chewie interact. Yeah. And, Valid. and you can you can hit those hit those notes. I do still like the movie. The I actually really I really <laughs> like it. But no, it's <laughs> the thing that I'm looking at for it is okay, where do we go from here? The K returns on it are way lower than what anyone was expecting with it. It's lower than Rogue One. But <sighs> Oh, it's definitely Kira's movie then. I I think that's the only way to pull this one out. I think she gets There's her own There's two piece actually. Out. One, they've already started talking about Lando having his own movie, which would be better, I think, just because there's so much less established about him. Can, can we just have new characters oh, in like that criminal underworld so of Star Wars? Just, that's I what know. I really <laughs> want when, it, when this comes down Star to Star Jack Williams versus the yeah, Galaxy. There you go. <laughs> Yes. I've already got Ron Howard on the phone. I'm going to find out how this is going to work. <laughs> or if you like need to mix it in, just have like Han and Chewie go see this movie and then just show <laughs> a new movie with them watching. Oh, I like that. <laughs> that might um, get past them. That might get past them. <laughs> Han and Chewie's big date. That would be great. I'd see that. That would be kind of funny. Um, yeah, no, I, I really, I agree. I Ever since The Force Awakens has come out, We've got that movie with, or that set with some new characters to it. Fill out that world, please, please. We're finally getting a kids TV show for it to replace Rebels. I'm just so happy that it seems like at least Lucasfilm is moving into the future. That I'm, at this point, I am bored with the original trilogy. I'm bored with the Oh, AU. see, I want the same thing for different reasons. Because I, I want them to flesh out that new universe so I care about it. Mm -hmm. Because right now, there's not enough there for me to care about it. And so I find myself falling back on, like, really over-treaded original series stuff. Yeah. Because there's nothing there for me to like about the new ones. Well, that's not to say that I don't like the new trilogy. It's just, like... There's there's nothing there. Like, you can't run a role-playing game in that universe because we don't know anything about it. I think about this a lot because... Uh, do any of you... Anyone else have kids? Just me? No. Just me. Okay. Um, you know... I work with kids. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I've got... I got three kids. Um, my oldest is five. I, I have not shown him Star Wars yet, but he knows pretty much all of the main characters because of just the way Star Wars has become part of our culture. Um, he's seen, you know, the Lego Star Wars and he's seen, you know, bits of cartoons and he's seen toys and video games and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, the basic points of Darth Vader, bad guy, Luke Skywalker, good guy, blue lightsaber, good, red lightsaber, bad, stormtroopers, bad, you know, like it's become part of our, our cultural identity in a way that, you know, new people don't experience 
Star Wars in the same way that we do, like that we did. It's just something that exists that you're supposed to kind of know in the way that like people know who Batman and Superman are without ever having to you know open a comic book. Uh, so something that I, I think about a lot is that that I think taints the way that these new stories are created is that there's so much assumption and background knowledge that they don't feel compelled to to flesh anything out except for you know the super nerds who are going to buy the books and the comic books um you know the the new the new movies lean heavily on the understanding that this is 2017 or 2016 2015 2018 you know this stuff because you are an american or a canadian or a member of the western society and you are alive so therefore you at least know the basics are we those super nerds you're on this show yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's us yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think I'm, I, personally i've gone the way of of david i think i and i'm actually in the middle of writing an article about it where i i think i'm going to intentionally downgrade my super fan status to casual because and it really becomes from my experience with the Marvel movies, because I don't know a lot about the Marvel comics. And so I love every movie that comes out and I don't have that baggage with me. Um, I also like kind of enjoy Harry Potter because I've never read all the books. And so I don't carry that baggage with me. And so I'm kind of like, you know what, maybe if I just cared less about Star Wars, I would like it more. And I think Solo is a pretty strong indicator that my theory is correct because you know even now i'm like that's not Corellia. Corellia is supposed to be beautiful why did you trash Corellia? <laughs> but you know if i didn't know that i would have been like hey cool look at this cool trash planet full of pollution so i don't know i i thought i was a super fan until i went to celebrate <laughs> <laughs> and i realized i am yeah, very much I... a casual fan <laughs> And that's coming from, you know, somebody who's done a role-playing game podcast. You only did six seasons in Star Wars. That's all. Chow, come on. All of that's about the game, though, to be honest. You know, that's that's what it comes down to with most of us who've participated. I think all of us have participated in some form of actual play. Um, And I think that's just because we like tabletop gaming. And Star Wars is a really easy universe to do that in especially when you're trying to introduce new players to the hobby just because as as i believe it was chris's point the the universe is so established in our culture it is very hard to find somebody that doesn't know something about it i mean and and that is essentially one of the reasons why i chose that game when i wanted to do an actual play podcast because i'm really late into coming to tabletop i've only been playing four years now and so the idea of me having to sit around and learn D and D lore, for example, that sounds yeah. horrible. Like I don't want to read four books of like I don't have time. You think D and D lore is four books? <laughs> I know. Yeah, like I, I don't want to have to learn the dritzed cycle. Right, I don't. I don't know any of that stuff. But I already had Star Wars memorized from a misspent youth of you know bad. Yeah. To mediocre uh, novels, so it was like, oh, I already got the background <laughs> info on this. On Twitter, I follow a bunch of people who I would characterize much more as the Star Wars super fans, and yeah, I know that even though, like, in comparison, it's the big fish in a little pond kind of thing. Amongst our friends, yeah, we're sort of the Star Wars nerds in most cases, 
But when you go and talk to the ultra fan, it's almost like you barely know anything. Yeah, I live with one of those. <laughs> so there's that. So I know that really I am I am a casual fan if you if you're looking at it like that compared to the to the person I live with with his Lego Slave 1 right next to me right now. It at the same time it is a lot easier to get into these games just because like even my friends who we started getting into the games who basically, yeah, I've seen the movies once. And then they got into it. They were still able to get into it because they saw the movies once. It's fine. So that was a lot easier. It's a lot easier to just tempt people in. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you already know these characters. It's fine. As opposed to, yeah, like Chris was saying, I, there's no way I could get some of my friends to go play D&D. Because they, they'd be like, uh, that's a bit too much. I just realized now that like like trying to bring new players in, we now have a we have two perfect movies to describe Edge of the Empire and Age of Rebellion. Mm-hmm. We do, and I was thinking what we need now is a Force and Destiny movie, and that's yes. the Obi Wan yep. movie. <laughs> that's what we need. That's the only prequel movie I actually want. I've always wanted is an Obi Wan movie, and you know what? Ewan McGregor is also on board. He's waiting. He's waiting by that. And telephone. he's the right age too, because he's roughly <laughs> he the right is. age for how Alec Guinness was. Exactly. And then get him and Ray Park together for the whole uh, recreating the Rebels scene. I totally <laughs> did. They could, yeah. <laughs> oh, and now I really want to go play Star Wars. <laughs> right? What are you guys doing that's, this evening? That's how we. I left that movie. Like, I really want to run an edge Tw- game. Right Twenty now. minutes in, I I was ready. I know. Like, I right? was ready to start Hero Season Two right then. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, and I know, I know, we're we're running long, but I I do have a question for you, um, for all of you RPG masters. For I am just but a baby. Um, <laughs> I have a year on you in RPGs. It's not like I have much more. <laughs> With the original West End games, D six supported a story like solo well if they rolled incredibly lucky yes (laughs) because that's a lot of exploding well that's the exploding d6 right yeah 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 so you would need a lot of exploding. i I, I think it could work like i I I saw back when force awakens came out a um a friend of mine did like a write-up to to like show how could like the the Millennium Falcon versus Tie Fighters chase like how how could that have functioned the West End games uh, dice system mm-hmm. and with like the right like force points being spent in the right places and yeah a little bit of luck yeah it could happen yeah I, this one I I honestly think could have like yeah it would have been good rolls but I don't think it would have been heavy into the D six coming up six all the time. But just so, just for for comparison's sake, so Edge would be better game to represent this than the West End games, though. Yes. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, I would say Rogue One is well. There's some rumors going around that it actually was essentially a West End games campaign. This one feels more modern, just in the way that's being presented. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Tales from the Hydean Way. You can find show updates on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and you can find me at Deuterium Ice. You can find me on Twitter at Twelfth Night. That's one two T H and Night with a K. 
You can find me, Chris. Uh, I do an actual play show called Silhouette Zero. It's a two-person operation with just me and my brother where we focus on the short aliens of Star Wars. You can find that at SilZeroPodcast.com or the show Twitter, SilZeroChris. That's spelled S-I-L-Z-E-R-O. If you want to just see me um, writing articles and complaining about how I'm sad, you can go to at IngDaydreams for my personal Twitter. Uh, you can find me at KookieKit on Twitter. That's it. That's all I have to say. I'm Ross from Dice for Brains. You can find me at Dice for Brains. Um, I do the Dice for Brains podcast, not another tavern. We've got a Twitch thing starting up too now. So yeah, find me there. Places. I'm at aka Agent Shades on Twitter. And uh, I have other places you can find me, but most of them haven't been updated recently. So if you want to watch YouTube videos, you can find me there at Agent Shades on YouTube. But uh, I'm still in the progress of getting my next Let's Play up. We are all at TheHydeanWay.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about on the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. Our podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, where you can find more episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing the show. Drop us a holocom at tales at com. If you like the show and want to support what we do, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash way or buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com. They're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. I just, yeah. I don't know, I had to do it. I said anything, so here I am. I'm doing it. All right, in that case, I got to do this. I don't think, only if we have bloopers. You're doing it wrong. This and some bloopers. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I really like the movie. Uh, all of a sudden, everybody's got uh, okay. time now that we're doing the movie. I'm so sorry, Chris. I didn't expect that to become a thing in the house. Yeah. I, I like the movie Soul Up. I mean, oh, geez. I can't believe I said the movie name wrong. <laughs>